Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Welcome everyone to the podcast. Hope everyone's doing great out there. No guests today, it's just Neil and I chatting it up. I think one of the things we want to go over in this podcast is we've been seeing a lot and it's been going on for a long time, but even more so now with a lot of these influencers, especially these quote-unquote quote highly educated influencers with a lot of different letters in front of their names saying that there's only one way to do certain all these movements. And is that really the best thing to be telling people? Absolutely not, man. Right? Yeah, I mean, we have everyone's built different. Yeah. So everyone's movement's going to look different. For the listeners out there of our podcast, we're not going to mention any names, but you can pretty much know off the top of your head kind of some of the people that are at the forefront of this absolutes uh, charge in regards to there's only one way to do things. But telling people that there's only one certain foot position that you can have or foot angle that you can have when you're doing squatting is kind of limited and really short-sighted well i mean if you look at your daily life Mm -hmm. right how many different body positions you get in or if if you go down to squat and pick Mm -hmm. something up you're not necessarily looking at your feet when you go down to pick something yeah no no you don't yeah yeah you just do it you just do it yeah and you know you're not picking up real heavy loads but if you were to look at your feet when you went down to pick something up i guarantee you that both of them wouldn't be perfectly straight your body wouldn't be perfectly square And one of the things that we've talked about is really telling people that there's only one way to do certain things is not taking into account different body shapes and really limb lengths, your appendages in relation to your torso, which makes a massive difference. I know a lot of people talk about the depth of the hip socket in regards to the the head of the femur. That's a big argument and point there. But for us, it's more about the length of the femur, the length of the humerus in regards to the length of the torso that makes a big difference. Yeah, and the same goes for arm length too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, if your arms are really long, you're not going to be good at certain exercises, but you're going to have a huge advantage in other movements. Because that really, the the longer your limbs, I mean, the more stress you're actually going to put on the midsection, on your core, vertical core structure as you're going up and down. Yeah. And so as you apply load to these appendages, that body stress through the vertical core structure completely changes. And it's a question of, can you handle those loads and those added stresses? I mean, we're probably a a perfect example of two completely different Mm -hmm. body types. Very much so. Like my wingspan is about three inches longer than my height. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, like things like throwing, swinging, climbing... You know, I'm just naturally better at them. Mm-hmm. But if you put me under a bar for bench press, I'm terrible. What's interesting is people that do bench pressing, right, powerlifting, for years people have said, well, you got more work to do. And it's kind of funny to think about how in certain exercises we've always taken account into account limb lengths, but in others we've kind of ignored them. Like it doesn't fit our narrative, so to speak, so then we don't address it. But – Especially with squatting and deadlifting, that's a big major impact. There's a reason why some people gravitate to the sumo version of a deadlift versus a traditional or a narrow stance even. Well, yeah, if you have really long arms, then 
you're closer to the bar. Mm-hmm. So the less the bar has to travel when you deadlift. So typically guys that can deadlift really big weights have longer arms or if they don't, yeah, they do have to go to that sumo stance. Yeah. We see people like, especially like Ed Cohn back in the day, Ed was very well known for really good heavy deadlifts. Well, a lot of his lifts were in that sumo variation. It was less distance travel. Yeah. It was simply put. So it's kind of interesting watching all of these educators slash influencers just telling you that there's this is the only way you can do these movements. And without taking into account, what is that going to do to each individual person? So it's not a one-size-fits-all perspective that you can have on this. Yeah, because... Everyone's going to look different under max loads. Yes. Yeah. And even under submax, people are going to move differently, right? Some people have a lot of trepidation, PTSD from previous injuries that they've had. And you'll see that when you ask somebody to go pick something up off the ground. Without even having a history of who they are, you can actually see if people are afraid of picking things up off the floor and how they go about doing it. Yeah. Versus people that are very casual. They go over, they know they're strong, they know they're resilient, they haven't had much injury history. They'll go over and just bend over and pick it up. They don't take time to think about what they're doing. Where you'll see people that have a long history of issues, they'll go over and they'll, number one, they'll be like, oh, right away their face will be like, oh my God, they're afraid right off the bat. Like you see it. The way they talk to you about it, you can, you can hear it in their, not only their tone, but their descriptions on, uh, they've had a long injury history. Yeah. Right. And then when you actually go to, you assure them it's okay, you can pick that up. Then you see how robotic they become and how linear they become. They just lack fluidity. Well, I, you know, I've done a, not a test, but I've, I've kind of tricked someone into picking something up before. Where, mm-hmm. So at first they were going to pick up a kettlebell, mm-hmm. like a, almost like a sumo deadlift. Mm-hmm. Bell's between your legs. You just pick it up. So they pick it up and they're like, eh, I don't know. I'm a little eh, kind of, kind of scared, kind of feel it in, in my back. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. All right. Stay away from it for a little while. Going through some other exercises. I mean, you know what? Let's, let's come back. Why don't we just pick that ball up over there? So, oh, ball. Very, it's not intimidating. It's just a ball. It's a ball. Go down. We'll just put the ball between your feet. And I just want to see you pick it up. Picks it up just fine. No big deal. You know, so some of it is a, it's a mental thing too. Oh, most of it's all mental. Because the way we cue somebody mm-hmm. makes a big difference on, on their effect all the way through the chain, right? If we tell them to push the weight away from the floor versus pull the weight off the floor. Or calling it a deadlift. Or just picking a ball up. Right. Yeah, that whole calling it a deadlift actually can become intimidating mm-hmm. in and of that mindset because that person may have been injured before doing a deadlift. So you call it a deadlift and right away, boom. Yeah. They they go back to that moment or those moments where they had those issues. And so trying to find a way as a coach to kind of, like you said, trick the person into not realizing they're doing the same thing is really in and of itself, a, a really good, interesting facet of what we do. Well, you know, you and I work a lot with the general population. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we're trying to do, look, we want everyone's joints to move as well as they can, mm-hmm. move through these fascia lines. But in some of the traditional weightlifting or strength training that we're having them do, while we're working on those things, we still need to find strategies where they can load their bodies without mm-hmm. causing any pain. And they, it may look different. 
because we need to make slight adjustments here and there. Mm -hmm. So we have to put their body positions here, change the lever length here. So it might not look like your quote unquote perfect, you know, whatever lift they're trying to promote. It's the whole thing again of perfection. Is there even such a thing as perfection? Because who's to say that the way one person lifts an object or squats may be completely improper or even a contraindication for somebody else of that same movement. Yeah. I mean, because you have to, everyone's center of gravity is different. Very and that's what we're trying to control. Yes. When we're lifting something. Is controlling that center, center of gravity. of your gravity and position yourself or, or your client in the right position for them to succeed. So that's going to look different for everyone. And your body's going to, your brain prioritizes this stuff. It's not like your brain isn't trying to calculate and figure all this stuff out. The brain processes the task and says, okay, what is the most efficient way for me to control my center of gravity and to be able to do this, accomplish this task that I'm supposed to do? And it's if you're trying to take somebody and change it into a non-efficient form for them, it's going to be really hard. Yeah. So... Don't get caught up in this whole, for us, you don't want to get caught up into this whole, oh, there's only one way to deadlift. There's only one way to squat. And if you go beyond this range of motion, you know, you're being detrimental even. I think that's another thing that we've been seeing more people talking. Oh, that's just stupid. What's kind of funny is that some of the people that are posting this are some of the worst looking movers that you've ever seen. So it's kind of like, well... Is it really, it's like when Kelly Starrett talked to us and said, look, when you're talking about strength and mobility, you need to be strong and you need to move well. Yeah. You can't come in here weak and moving like shit and then try to convince me that what you're trying to teach me is going to work. Yeah. Cause you have to be the example, basically. You have to be the example. Yeah. So if you look stiff, if you look robotic, if you look non-athletic or even just just a really low quality mover. It's really hard to take somebody like that seriously when they're telling you that this is the only way that you can do certain things. Yeah. I mean, it's the self-promotion for your business and all that. And I, I get that, that perspective of it, but are you doing the best service for everyone? Yeah. And I think as viewers, I think we have to take that into account also, because we've talked about that too, is a lot of this just more about self-promotion and really selling you something versus saying, okay, here's a system here. It works well for some people. It may not work well for others. And if it doesn't, it is what it is, right? But to be that dogmatic and say, this is the only way to do certain things is kind of like, hmm, interesting. That's a red flag. Yeah, we think it's a red flag. You know, so when somebody's saying, if you do, if you go beyond this range of motion, you're going to absolutely end up injured. I think the other one, too, is kind of we've been seeing people refer to mobility work, contortional type movements, like contortionist type movements. And we kind of scratched our heads like, I think you kind of need to understand what a contortionist is versus somebody that just needs to be mobile. Yeah. There's a very big difference between a contortionist and someone that just wants to move better. Well, you know, that person probably can't get into somebody's position. So for them, it's a contortion too. Right. Yeah. So they they qualify it as an extreme movement where some of us will look at it and go, that really is just a, a basic requirement on a scale of one to 10. We think it's more like, okay, that is just like a five. 
And yet you're calling that five a 10 because for you, it's that much harder. Yeah. But that's where the work goes in. I mean, when we started stick mobility, there were a lot of movements. I was like, holy shit, this is horrible. Oh, my God. But it's just work. It takes time. It takes time to change the body. It takes time to to uh, change the connective tissue, the quality of the connective tissues, to get to the point where you do have a better usable range of motion that you can access. Yeah, and you, you, know, you still have to look at, hey, do I need this range of motion for what I like right. to do? So there are some... You can take yourself into some contortionist extreme positions, but that's based on your joints, your body type, you know, your activities. So, you know, there's, you kind of strengthen with whatever your ranges you have and then try to strengthen those outer ranges that you have as well. It's funny because like with me, with my short arms, I've got way shorter arms than my, than my body length. So an L sit, you know, to push off the floor isn't achievable for me without a ton of spinal flexion, which if I were to actually do that, and then post it, what would most likely the comments be? Well, why all that spinal flexion? Like, oh my God, that's a terrible L-sit. You, you're, your spine's supposed to be straight. I physically can't get there yeah. without physically going into the spinal flexion. So for me, that's how I would have to accomplish that same said task. Yeah, you would have to just, to make it look, you know, the way people want it to look, you'd have to use parallettes parallettes or yoga blocks or something like that right yeah. but just straight off the ground by no my l-sit is not even close to being the proper form for an l-sit but it's the way i have to that's the only thing i can do to accomplish that said task because of the way i'm structured it's just the way my dna is set well it's almost like uh, remember when we took that olympic lifting course yeah you know with glenn penline back yep. in Two thousand years ago, ago. two thousand eleven yeah. or twelve, yeah, or, love, yeah. or something like that, and you know we we're working on the rack position. Yeah, and you're like shit, I don't know if my wrists are not mobile enough for this, and it's but it's basically your limbs. Your limbs aren't. It, you just can't get into that position physically. Yeah, because my upper arms are so much. It's just too short to actually get into that position. And so, as much as I would love to be able to do that front front rack position on the squat it just i can't do it without a towel yeah right so it's once again it's trying to figure out okay how do we reposition the body how do we change it to accommodate those things and and do we often see in assessments even limb lengths being taken into consideration (laughs) i mean i was thinking about that the other day yeah well in assessment protocols when we look at assessments and the movement assessment systems that we've gone through, uh, that we've that we've learned, none of them have ever a- actually specifically looked at no. femur and humerus length to torso to torso ratio and how that's going to affect the way somebody moves. Yeah, no, I don't. I haven't taken anything that's done that. It's mainly been joint range of motion, right? right? Yeah. So that's something that you may want to start really considering when you're analyzing or assessing not only new clients, but clients that you've been working with, because maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you haven't said, you know, that client that's got, they just can't get into that front rack position. Well, it's wrists, it's wrists, it's wrists. Maybe that person just got really short upper arm bones and getting into that position, no matter how much you work on the wrists, it's just not happening. Yeah, because Dennis has fairly mobile joints. 
you know, yeah. I would say. I mean, he's not crazy mobile, but he's mobile enough where he can do everything that he wants to do. He can get his arms overhead. He can get in push a position, no problem. You know, your your yeah. lats are flexible. You can get in all the these different positions. But if we just kept chasing these different things just so we could get a front rack without looking at the limb length, I mean, you'd be doing it forever just so that you could get it in a front rack position. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, because I can do an overhead dislocate, keeping my ribs to my pelvis connected, not getting into my lumbar spine. I can get all the way back to, to back down to parallel down to my butt. So it's not like my scapula don't, don't move well. And like I said, the wrist mobility is there. It's just I'm structured the way I'm structured. It is what it is. But what's funny is we, if I'm in the NBA, I'm looking for players. We're scouting for players in the NBA who all have longer arm lengths than their torsos, right? Oh, yeah. Arm, yeah, that's right? a big thing. That's a big thing. It's huge. It's mm-hmm. huge. So we know the advantages to that in the world of basketball. And we know the advantages that in the world of boxing or MMA work, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Longer reach, blah, blah, blah. But then we fail to transfer that over to how that's going to affect their training also, though. So we say in the world of play, oh, that's great. We want the longer limbs. They can reach up. They can block shots a little bit easier. They can get those rebounds a little bit easier. But then are we also taking into account how is that person going to then worry about doing overhead presses bench presses Mm. things of that nature right deadlifting uh squatting we look at it sometimes if it's convenient for us and then we discount it if it's not convenient for us yeah because if you're looking at the bench press right and and you had shorter arms and then you look at the shoulder joint right you don't have to have as much rotation in the shoulder joint as you're going down yes right so now if you have my arms which are a lot longer now that shoulder has to go into much more extension. Yeah. So then you can see how it's just, you can't create as much force back there. And that's a big reason why for all the years that I bench pressed, I didn't have shoulder issues. Like we, we've talked about people that bench press for a long time, ultimately across the board, the vast majority of them will have some type of anterior shoulder issue usually sometimes posterior but mostly anterior right that's something i never had to deal with mine was because of the wrist and the elbow yeah more than anything from the olympic lifting before i even ever did the coaching way back when so that's one of those things where the longer the arm yeah the more internal rotation the more torque you're going to take on that joint well yeah ultimately you're probably going to end up with some type of wear and tear or overuse injury yeah, so your natural setup has to be different Yeah, for you to maximize it. So, I mean, you're essentially doing a floor press every time you bench press. Pretty much. Now, if I do a floor press, you know, I would stop here. And, it would, you know, the bar would probably be about this far from my chest. You'd have a good five inches separation yeah. Yeah, between the chest and the, and the bar, right? Where me, I would be much closer if I go to the floor press. Yeah. So... Just some food for thought in regards to, in your assessments, have you really thought about looking at the body proportions? And not even so much from an ectomorph, endomorph, mesomorph standpoint, but just talking about limb lengths. Because people who have taken our education know we're huge into levers and leverage and really teaching people, look, this is one of the easiest things to really change to make things easier or harder on people. And so in the same respect, the way you are built 
the way your design, your anatomical structure needs to be taken into account. If you're not adding that into your assessments and not taking that into consideration, uh, we just think you're probably going to be a lot better off if you start doing that. Yeah, because, you know, we look at all the advantages that it gives us in sports to have these longer limbs, but now we have to look at the disadvantages you have in certain exercises and training. Very much so. So, and how much more, how much more force is put on that joint? Yeah. And that's really because you were talking about the volume then, because if you're not taking into consideration the added force, the added stress that's being placed on the joints and the soft tissue, and you keep cranking up the volume, at what point is that going to ultimately be detrimental? Until next episode, be good to each other. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and whatever platform you're on, either Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, please, if you could leave a review, we'd appreciate that. If you have any questions that we can answer for you, be sure to leave those in the comments also. If you're looking for more information on our education, our products, please go to www.stickmobility.com. And also hit that subscribe button to that YouTube channel. And don't forget our live Instagram classes three times a week. If you want to join in, grab your sticks and hit that 45-minute class. Yes.